primary residential mortgage makes it easy for anyone to apply and complete the mortgage process online. And our local mortgage advisors with Team Von Flatern are always available to meet with you, answer questions, and provide personalized service throughout your home buying experience. Together, Team Von Flatern and Primary Residential Mortgage share the mission to provide the best client experience, whether it's your first home, second home, or you're using your home's equity to put you in a better overall financial position. We educate our borrowers so that they feel comfortable and empowered throughout the entire home buying experience. Let's talk about your next move. Call Team Von Flatern today, 401-418-2399. PRMI is an equal housing lender, Primary Residential Mortgage Incorporated. NMLS number 3094, Jeremy Von Flatern, NMLS number 22568. Some products and services may not be available in all states. Credit and collateral are subject to to approval. Terms and conditions apply. This is not a commitment to lend. Programs, rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. Hey there, guys. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just wanted to tell you that I got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you need to buy, sell, or need help renting a property in the state of Rhode Island, feel free to reach out. Contact me at maxwellwillett at kw.com or call me at 401-487-4477 and I'd be more than happy to help you. Thanks guys and enjoy the rest of the episode. Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and we got another great guest on today. So if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Max. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, my name is Ross Levine. Uh, nickname is Turbo. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. So that's how we know each other, kind of through mm-hmm. the community. Um, but I'm also a professional full contact fighter, prize fighter. So I've done uh, sport karate my whole life and then transitioned to kickboxing and now full contact kickboxing and uh, karate combat world champions. So yeah, it's great. Pleasure to be here, man. Yeah. Great to have you on. And I will say I do have some karate experience uh, in Southern Rhode Island and Hope Valley. I went to East coast karate when I was okay. a little kid. Uh, I got to like junior black belt. I think if I stayed for another year or so, I could have got first degree, but I, I was like, I was, I was like almost 10 years ago now. So. <laughs> never, it's never too late. You could always go back. You can always go back. Yeah. I do need to get in shape. I'm, I must say that. <laughs> there you go. COVID, um, COVID messed it up for everybody. So no, it's, it's uh it's great. It's a good, good lifestyle to have. And I'm sure like, even though you did it when you were younger, I'm sure some of those qualities and values that you learned from just like taking class and being disciplined and stuff like that, I'm sure carried over. And that's why you're successful. So. 
Absolutely. I will. I'm so I've been trying to get the owner of East Coast Karate on Dave Aaron's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very busy running that type of business takes up a lot of time. So hopefully we can get something lined up in January. And if he's listening to this and I'll probably send this to him. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've been trying to get him on, but you're totally right. It taught me discipline, how to respect people. You know, not only did my parents do that, but to go into another place and practice that as well, you know, is, is huge. And I think it helped out a lot of people at that dojo, uh, you know, how to treat people with respect. It was always yes, sensei. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, whatever, whoever it was, you always treated everybody with respect and it was a great place to go and learn those values and apply them in like a, a real life scenario, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's crazy when you look back, especially as an adult, like I, I've been doing martial arts since I was seven years old. And even um, there's so many times that I go back. One of the most basic things that I'll share is like, we, we used to recite the aims to achieve, right? It's these, like, it's a methodology. It's these phrases that you kind of recite like a mantra, but it's courtesy, integrity, self-control, perseverance, indomitable spirit. And those are the five things that like stuck with me. And I'm like, you know what, now that I'm like older and I'm dealing with people on a regular basis, whether I'm coaching, teaching, working with clients, whatever it might be, those are still those values that I uphold like through my everyday life, whether it comes to the people I'm working with, my family, or just people in the street. So it's crazy the stuff that sticks with you at a young age. So, I mean, I encourage everyone to try martial arts, no matter how old they are, just to kind of get a piece of that. It's just so wholesome for your life. Absolutely. I think, I think, uh, Cobra Kai gives some of it a bad stigma, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have the balance, right? It's that's, yeah. that's obviously just a TV show, but, um, yeah, I think any, any show that brings the light to, uh, to martial arts and like what it can do for you is powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, like we really start every podcast off with, let's just get into your life story. Let's, mm. you can go back as far as you want. And we can just talk about your life and sort of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm actually not from Rhode Island. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a New Yorker, um, lived there for 25 years. And uh, like I said, I started martial arts when I was seven. Um, you know, it, it was always a big part of my life. And uh, when I was younger, I always thought I was going to be a professional athlete, but not martial arts. I always thought it was going to be baseball or football or something like that. Um, and then as I got older, I realized, well, maybe the, uh, the possibility of actually becoming like a pro baseball player is like crazy for an American, you know, it's, it's a way different game than it is, you know, whether you're a Latin American country or anything like that. So it's just hard for Americans to become pro baseball players and even football, like the percentages are crazy. So I ended up having a couple of injuries and um, I uh, found myself in physical therapy and that's what led me down the path of like, well, maybe I want to be a PT. My, um, my physical therapist at the time, Chris Delahanty over at Physio Fitness in New York City, still there. Um, he did a great job of like always making me feel like I was making progress. Every day I went in there and I, I tore my hamstring. So I was there for about a year um, on and off. And it was just, I was always feeling like I was getting better. He was super motivating. And I'm looking around, I'm like, here's a D1 wrestler over here is a swimmer. This guy's, you know, he does all these different sports. And like, so I started thinking like, you know what, maybe because at the time I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I was still, you know, in college and just kind of doing my core classes and not really sure what I was going to accomplish. And I was like, wow, well, if I can't be the pro athlete, maybe I can be the guy that helps those athletes get back on track. And that's when I got into physical therapy. So that's kind of like where the story began. 
Um, so then when I was 25, I moved to New Hampshire for grad school. I graduated Franklin Pierce University. Um, and then at the time I was dating someone that lived in Rhode Island. So I trickled my way down to Rhode Island and, um, you know, that relationship didn't work out, but eventually I stuck around and, uh, had some, some great physical therapy jobs. And now I'm here married, you know, getting ready to start a family. So things have been really, really good. And it's kind of where I'm at now in a nutshell. Great. Very cool. I think, I think that's a really, you know, fast life story because, uh, I've, I've watched a couple of your fights really cool. Um, and yeah, I, I think my first question would be for you to talk about the different, uh, fighting styles or, or sports, I guess you've gotten into in your career and the differences between them, because I feel like for a lot of people, they sort of just all get meshed together. There's boxing and then the rest is sort of like meshed together. And I think that's really unfair because they're all unique in their own ways. Yeah, hundred percent. So when I started, obviously I started with like your traditional Taekwondo, um, you know, I was wearing a, a uniform and a belt and kind of same as you. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes. Sensei, all that stuff. Um, and there really wasn't much about competition. It was all just about getting those values, having some discipline, learning some cool stuff and learning how to control myself, right? Self-control and, you know, kind of, I wasn't an angry kid, but learning how to have an outlet, right? You can't just kind of act out. You have, okay, here's your place where you, you had a bad day. Okay. We're going to go to karate class. You're going to hit the bag. You're going to break a board. You know, you can get that out. And then through all of that, you learn so much. So I started with my traditional Taekwondo, um, in Brooklyn. And then I started competing on like the regional scene, just, you know, basically doing my forms, doing some sparring and it was fun. I just loved competition. Um, so as I got older, I started getting better and competing more around the U S um, I started finding, you know, different coaches and people that I wanted to emulate and be like, and, you know, because of their success. Uh, and I just got hooked on competition. Um, so, you know, I guess I started martial arts became more of like a competitive thing for me as I got older, but, uh, I mean, that led me to traveling all around the country, all around the world, competing against some of the best guys that have ever done it. Um, winning multiple world titles in uh, what they would call under the umbrella of like sport karate. So it's like point fighting. Um, it's very fast, really explosive. Um, basically it's like a high paced game of tag, but obviously a very dangerous game of tag. Cause <laughs> you know, you're playing tag with your, your, your hands and feet. Um, so I did that for a really long time. And then when I moved to graduate school, I didn't have that same coaching staff, the same training camp, my teammates, it was all gone. Um, but I wanted to continue and do something. And I'd always had uh, a knack for like being a little more physical, a little more contact. Uh, so I joined a mixed martial arts gym that was up there and they had a kickboxing program. So I knew I didn't want to do like mixed martial arts, which most people were like, oh, UFC or, you know, things like that um, with the grappling and submission. But I wanted to do more of the punching and kicking. So I started taking their kickboxing classes and then they were like, Hey, you're pretty good. You should come and train with our pros. Like, all right, cool. And then they were like, Hey, you're pretty good. You should take a fight. I'm like, all right, cool. So that's kind of how my, um, my competition started as an amateur with kickboxing. And, uh, then eventually I had, you know, 11 amateur fights and I moved down to Rhode Island and I had fought all the best guys in the region. And the next thing was like, Hey, you want to go professional and get paid for this? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's see where I stack up against the best in the world. And it just like that competitive nature always pushed me to like, I got to get better. I got to do more. Um, so that's like all of the different areas that I've experienced. Um, and then obviously from kickboxing, now I'm with a company called Karate Combat, which we'll get to in just a minute. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's, there's so many different variations. And I think 
um, in the last like 10 to 15 years, one of the most rapidly growing sports in the world is mixed martial arts. So most people will, uh, you know, attribute that to the UFC, the ultimate fighting championship. Um, but yeah, that's like the, the ground fighting in the cage and all that stuff. And, um, there's certainly that, but there's also boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai. I mean, we could talk all days about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think what would be really interesting is, do you remember your first, your first fight? Like when you talked about your amateur career, do you remember your first fight? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Those are hard to forget. Um, yeah, yeah I remember, uh, it was kind of a crazy experience. So when you do full contact, it's, uh, it gets broken down into weight classes. So you get your, your divisions get broken down from weight classes and experience. So obviously if I'm, oh, and oh, I've never competed as a kickboxer. I'm not going to fight someone who's got 10 fights. Right. So they try and match you up because it's not tournament style. It's one, one fight, um, you know, per, uh, per event. So you, uh, you know, I went in there and I was supposed to fight at 190 pounds and, um, the opponent that I was supposed to have, if we fought on like a Saturday, I think that Wednesday he had gotten hurt or something. And the coach was like, yeah, don't worry about it. We, uh, we have another guy at our gym who's 190 and he'll come in and fight. So we show up to the weigh-ins that day and I weigh in at 190 pounds and the guy weighed in at like 210. And I was like, oh my God. And he just came in. He was massive, massive human being. And I'm like, this is the guy I got to fight right now. Are you kidding me? And uh, they're like, oh yeah, sorry. We couldn't make the wait in time. Do you still want to fight? And like my parents had flown up from Florida. And it's like all my friends were there. I was like, yeah, we're still fighting. And um, I remember I hit this guy with everything I had and he just kept coming forward. It was the scariest situation of my life. Um, I did well. I won. Uh, but yeah, I was so exhausted, wow. so tired. It was a tough one. Yeah, that was my first my first amateur uh, full contact fight. Wow. Were there any other fights that happened in your amateur career that sort of helped define you as a fighter? You know? Yeah, every single one. Um, yeah. And like I tell I coach now, you know, now that I'm a little more experienced and obviously I'm with a, a gym here, Pride Martial Arts, and we have a lot of competitors as well. Um, so I, I coach the amateurs and we tell them all the time, like, listen, the amateur ranks if you have intentions of going pro, because some people just do the amateur fights as like a bucket list thing. Like I train really hard. Let me just test myself, you know, win, lose or draw. I went out there and I did what 99% of people would never even dream of doing. Right. So it's just kind of that like breakthrough where you, you get to go and face that challenge and face your fears and stuff. Um, but some people really want to go and they want to be a professional combat athlete. Um, so we always tell them like, listen, the amateur ranks are specifically for, experience and what i mean by experience is not just do it a million times it's you want to go through every high and every low every good experience every bad experience so that when you become a professional you, nothing surprises you right you're never going to go into an event and be like oh my god now what now what do i do like what's going to happen like oh my gosh something bad is going to happen like you never want to feel that way so you know throughout your experience as an amateur it's all about you want to have a good weight cut a bad weight cut you want to go through a fight super easy and maybe even get a knockout and you want to go through a, a three to five round war where maybe you get your butt kicked a little bit like you got to have all those experiences so that when you're in trouble as a pro you always have that experience to lean on and be like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Like I've seen this already. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I think so. And was there anything in that first fight that you saw yourself, you know, learning from and then using in future fights? 
Yeah, big time. I mean, I think the the very first thing I remember, um, I was so nervous and like there, there's something called an adrenaline dump that every fighter gets usually in their first fight or two where, um, you, you know, there's so much nerves, there's so much anticipation and there's a lot of pressure. Obviously you want to go out, your friends are watching, your family's watching, you want to put on a great show. You're nervous because you're, you want to impress your coaches and stuff. And there's all this energy kind of pent up. And then you go out there in the first round and you do everything you can to, to win. Like in the first round, you try and get them out of there quick. Um, and then you have that crash, right? That wave, that tidal wave of adrenaline just blows you out. And next thing you know, it's like your legs are so heavy. You're exhausted. But like you've trained for the last eight to 10 weeks hard. And yet two minutes into the fight, I'm completely gassed out. So you have to learn how to manage those emotions. I remember my first fight going in there. And I, I mean, this first round, I dominated the round. Like I hit this kid with everything I possibly had as hard as I could, all different variety of techniques. And I came back to my corner and I remember my coach, you know, I sit down on the stool and my coach is like, man, you look great out there. You're hitting him with everything. Like, how do you feel? I'm like, coach, I feel terrible. <laughs> like I got nothing left, man. He's like, well, just keep moving, keep moving. I'm like, all right, cool. So um, certainly you learn how to pace yourself. You learn to deal with those emotions and it's hard, man, but mm -hmm. what a, what a rush. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear like, so obviously there was a, like you had said, there's a lot of training that goes in before you start fighting. Is there something that you always fall back on or try to remember when you're in the middle of a fight that you, has been reliable something to, to, to gain confidence from, or just something that would help you win the fight? Was there anything yeah, I mean, in particular? I, I think during the fight, I, I get pretty locked in, you know, I'm pretty laser focused. I have a mm -hmm. really good, I mean, I'm also very fortunate. I have amazing coaches and amazing support system. So they do a great job of just kind of keeping me exactly where I need to be. And, and they know that I'm, I'm really, really strong up here. Like my mental game is really solid and uh, I work very hard with that to make sure I don't lose focus in the fight. But the one thing that I always turn to, because you know, I don't get super nervous, but I've also been doing it a long time. But to say I don't get nervous at all would be a lie. You know, anyone that says they don't get nervous when you schedule a fist fight is, uh, is a liar, you know. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where leading up to the event, you know, certainly I get those butterflies. I'm like, oh, my God, what if this? What if that? You know, you think of all the bad things. You never think of the good things. It's like you always think about what if this goes wrong or what if this happens? What if I get knocked out? What if I lose in front of everybody? You know, whatever. Um, but I always go back to my preparation. You know, I can always lean on and be like, I work so hard. I work so much harder than anybody else. And I, I get up at this morning. I was up at 5 a.m. this morning. I taught a class and then yeah, I'm going to go back to the gym after this podcast. I'm going to go work out. Like I got all this stuff going on and I have a full-time job and I have a family. Like, you know, I just, I work harder than anybody. And if you can lean on your preparation, you can always take that with you and be like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be fine. I work harder than everybody. So um, that's the one thing that I lean on personally. And I, I encourage all of my athletes to do the same. Like if you just work hard, you always can look back at that and be like, I've never get outworked. So that's, yeah. that's kind of like my big thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you don't, you, you always want to outwork. That's something that, that I think is very important to learn, you know, mm. always think, and, and there's people that tell you not to think this way, you know, but you always want to think somebody's out there working harder than me. I need to push myself and work harder. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, that's a great mindset to have. So is there anybody that you sort of look up to and, in 
you know, the fighting sphere or somebody that you sort of idolize? Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's tons of people. And, and again, I think, um, I've been very fortunate where I've, I've been in contact with a lot of these people and I reach out to them. I go train with them and I try not to be shy in the sport. You know, the, the only look kind of like anything else in life. If you, if you want to be the best at something, you have to surround yourself by those people, emulate them and make it your own, right? You can't, uh, you can certainly do it by yourself, but that's the hard way, right? If you want guidance, follow the guy that's done it before you or the, or the woman that's done it before you, like go and find out what they did, learn from them and copy it and then make it your own, make it better, try and find a new way to make it your own. But um, yeah, I mean, so growing up in New York City, the the legend is uh, Jotty Tension. He's he's the guy, he, they called him the super fighter. You know, when he was competing in the 90s and early 2000s, he was the most dominant force worldwide. Um, incredible teacher. And I attached myself to him. He lived in the Bronx. I lived in Brooklyn. Um, he's still there now with his gym, TCK, Modern Martial Arts. So I still go back there and train with him. But I attached myself to him and he took me under his wing and we went to amazing heights. And like I said, still train together. And now my coach here, pride martial arts, Andrew Cornell, um, you know, he's an amazing guy. He's a, a hell of a person, a great motivator, really good coach understands me and my style. When I was in New Hampshire, it was Ed Carr with team link. And then some other guys that I've known through the sport, you know, um, Jake Manini is uh, one of my striking coaches. He runs a gym, in Boston, I've actually competed against him and his uh, his students as an amateur, and now he's in my corner coaching me as a as a pro. So like that's a really cool thing. Um, Joseph Altolini was a former Glory World Champion, uh, World Champion kickboxer in the same weight class as me. So when I first came into the league, we were in the same division, and I was like, I'm gonna follow him and do what he did now that he retired. So I go and train with him in Canada. And then uh, my good friend, Randy Stanky out in Arizona. I mean, those are like the people that I call coach, you know, those are the people that I rely on that I trust with my information and, and how I compete. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I'm sure there will be more as my, as my career continues, I'm sure I'll find more people to kind of surround myself with and make the best, you know, I'm the clay. They're all the potters. They just make the best version of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain sort of the, uh, the preparation that goes into a fight, obviously there's training, but Mm. there's strategy as well. Right. So when you're going into a fight, can you explain the preparation process, not only the training that you go through, but also the strategy? Yeah. I mean, the training is its own thing. Obviously you've got the, the actual like fight training where you're building certain skills, you know, trying to hone down a little bit more of a game plan, Um, there's a nutrition side of it, you know, because it's a weight class sport, there's a lot of science that goes into how to make weight the right way and not, you know, sucking yourself out and being dehydrated, you know, so I have a, an amazing nutritionist who takes care of me that way. So I'm always super healthy, um, and, and competing at my best, right. Really making sure that I'm doing all the right things. Um, but then from a game plan side, from a strategy side, I do, uh, I like to watch a lot of film. You know, just like you would watch a, uh, if you were a football coach, you're going to watch the the team you're competing against a week in advance, you know, and, and game plan sometimes more than a week in advance. You game plan ahead of time and you start to script up certain things that you might do. And then obviously as the game goes on, you have to adapt. You know, combat sports is no different. You know, I have an opponent that I'm supposed to be competing against. And as a professional, usually once you get locked into uh, to an event, unless there's an injury or something like that, it's usually pretty set in stone. So, you know, every now and then the opponent changes last minute, but um, for the most part, it's pretty consistent. So, yeah, once I get a name, 
I start doing some study. I watch their old fights, try and pick up some tendencies, figure out a, a little bit of a game plan. It's like, okay, what does he do well? What does he not do well for me? And then it's like, what can I do to either neutralize and stop what he does really well? And then how can I impose my will and do what I do well? You know, so is there's a lot of strategy and a lot of game plan that goes into it. And again, that's, that's one of those things where you got to have a, a lot of faith in your coaches to look at that and kind of break it down. And I think the best way I can explain it and same thing, like when I coach my athletes, I look at myself as just the vessel, right? My coaches are doing all the work, putting all the right things in play. And I'm just the guy that goes out there and does it kind of like a machine. Um, and that's, for me, that's what works. You know, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the thought process out of it. Now, obviously I have some input and some creativity to throw in there, but I'm just listening to my coaches and do what I'm supposed to do and good things will happen. Yeah. So I want to make a comparison here and I want you to tell me if this is a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I, I mean, I, I was a, in karate. I did like sparring years and years ago, but now yeah. the modern me thinks about the process in uh, fighting. I mean, obviously it's a quote unquote one man sport. But in in reality, it isn't. It's like golf, I feel like. You have the guy out there swinging, but you also have the caddy. You know what I mean? And and the golfer can't complete, you know, the, the 18 holes without his caddy. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair comparison to a boxer or somebody fighting in their coach? Absolutely. I mean, when you, I'm not a huge golfer, so you can probably correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but well, I'm I not, I, I golf weekends, but I'm really not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. You, you probably know more about it than I do, but I, I would assume the caddy does a lot more than just carry the bags, right? They, re- exactly. they give recommendations. They say, Hey, the, this is where the wind is. You know, this green is a little faster. Like we have to be careful. Like let's, let's aim this way. Maybe it's not a straight shot. Let's use mm-hmm. this club instead. Or I think you're, you're better with this, you know, maybe you should chip instead of using uh, an iron or so. I don't know, like, you know, they're going to help you make those decisions. They're going to help you read the green. They're going to yeah. help you do that in between shots. So yeah, your coaches. Uh, and then of course, I don't know if your caddy would be the same person that would be coaching you like outside. Sometimes of your I think it depends. Sometimes yeah. 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 I mean, I, I would think, I would imagine that would be the best case scenario, right? Those people helping you at all times, they're always with you. So you're getting the same opinion, the same voice. So yeah, when it comes to competition, I have my coaches that are training me week in and week out. And then when we get into the ring, you know, it's usually um, most fights are three rounds, unless it's a title fight, it's five rounds in kickboxing and MMA. So, you know, in between each round, you have a minute where you go back and you're getting some water and the, the medic is patching you up if they need to, but you're having a conversation with your coach. You should be having a conversation. Mm. Sometimes it's like the coach is talking and it's just like Charlie Brown, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're getting, you're getting like live feedback of like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I'm seeing because when you're in there, you can only see so much. Right. And it's like, I would imagine the same as a golfer. You see it one way, but someone from an outside perspective is going to see something different that I can't see at that moment. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Your, your coach is absolutely probably similar to a caddy where they're to help you kind of guide you, through that you know mystery of or the puzzle of what's happening in front of you so yeah i think that's a fair analogy yeah i mean for those of you yelling at your screen or rate or phone right now listening to this telling me that you're an idiot golf <laughs> isn't listen listen i don't think a lot of golfers can take the hits you guys take so <laughs> for people thinking that i'm saying it's as golf and, and 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 kickboxing or fighting are are on the same level of of physical difficulty 
<laughs> don't think that in I, theory, I know in theory in yeah theory. i'm i'm talking you know just yeah exactly comparisons so mm. i would you know an interesting question what do you do to to mentally prepare for a fight are there are there sort of exercises you do or is it just all right i'm gonna do this thing let's do it and don't really think about it yeah that's that's an awesome question um so i actually have a mental performance coach uh, his okay. name is Dylan Nadler. His uh, he actually owns a company called Mindlock. That's an awesome dude. If you if you want someone else to add to your your podcast list, that's a guy to talk to, man, and talk about the mental game of. And it's not just combat sports; it's everything. It's mental game behind business. I mean, he's an incredibly smart guy. He's from uh, from Canada. Um, I'll hook you guys up. But Dylan's awesome, man. And um, I, you know, I've always had a very strong strong mind. Like I always had a really great work ethic. Hard headed, like almost like stubborn to the point where I'm just going to work harder because I, I have to, I have to outwork you. No one's going to outwork me. Um, and that's just because I didn't really have all the physical gifts that maybe some of my opponents had, you know, I was never the fastest, never the strongest, you know, never the most physically gifted. Um, but I, if I wanted to be successful, I knew I had to outwork everyone. So that alone, my, my mental was really, really strong. I was always really powerful there. I was really hard to break my will. Um, and actually, I, I met Dylan through social media and we just started talking because I knew he worked with a lot of guys that were super high level, a lot of women that were world class athletes, you know. So we started talking and he's like, you know, how much of the game do you think is physical to mental? Right. So for me, I said I thought kickboxing, professional combat sports was 70 30. In my opinion, I said 70 percent physical, 30 percent mental. A lot of people have it the other way around. Um, but for me, I thought like, listen, like, I don't care how strong you are up here. You still got to get out there and do it. And your body has to be prepared, whatever, whatever the case may be 50, 50, 90, 10 doesn't matter. So he told me, he's like, all right, 30% mental, 70% physical. How many days a week do you train the physical and tell me your routine? I'm like, all right, well, I do six days a week, two days, of strength and conditioning, four days of kickboxing, one day of sparring. Plus I'll do like some yoga or swimming or something like that. He's like, all right, that's pretty packed. He's like, how many days of the week do you train the mental side? And I was like, huh, I guess zero. <laughs> like, I don't even know what that means. I was like, all right, I'm sold. Let's, let's work together. So he, um, he puts, he has a whole program, like he has different stuff and I, I'll let him kind of explain it when, when you chat with him. Cause I think you're going to be really interested in that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I meet with him usually on a biweekly basis and, um, it's almost like therapy. Like we talk about a lot of different things. Like we talk about goal setting. We talk about, you know, having emotions behind your actions to help you reach those goals. Um, we talk about just the pressures of certain situations and why we make things really bigger than they need to be. Um, and just how to handle some of those scenarios. Um, and the more we practice and do those drills, you know, we work on like I am statements, how we view ourselves. And um, the more you can unlock some of that stuff, the more freedom I have when I go and compete because I've already played it through. I've already lived it, you know, a lot of like, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say meditation, but it's almost like foresight and uh, like preparation foreshadowing. I'm, I'm envisioning a lot of visualization too. It's, it's awesome stuff. And, and I, you know, everyone's different. Not everyone is going to need the same type of, you know, training on that side. So that's what he does. He kind of figures out what you need the most. And um, honestly, it's phenomenal. So for me, I know that was a whole mouthful for you, but no, no, the no, mental no, game is, is the mental game is so important to me and he's uh, a true champion when it comes to that. Yeah. I think if there's anything that's been changed in the past 20 to 30 years in all of sports, 
it's it's being mentally prepared a lot of time uh in a lot of different sports it was just all right let's do this physically train for it and that's it but i i other than baseball i think because yogi Berra said it all a while ago you know baseball is 90 percent mental and the other half is physical you know yeah 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 (laughs) um you know but i think still in baseball it's still became more of a mental sport because you know people have to learn to deal with failure and i think that's a fact in a lot of different types of sports and i think that's the biggest stride we've made in modern sports is just mentally preparing for how to fail you know yeah it's huge i mean my my coaches tell me all the time like listen failure is part of it you you learn through failure Mm -hmm. um but when you when you quit on the other end of failure that's where it ends Right. But yep. through those failures, and this happens in business too. Like, you know, you got to learn through that in business. You you fail forward. Right? Mm-hmm. You never fail and end up in the same spot. You always fail forward. You end up learning new things and not making that mistake again. You know, uh, my coach does a really great analogy in like the kids' classes about like learning how to overcome failure. And he, he always makes the um the comparison to uh the first time you ever play Super Mario, right? It's a very simple game. You got, you got to get from point A to point B and there's a bunch of stuff in the middle that's going to derail you. Right. So, and every time you lose or you make a mistake, you got to start from the beginning. So to, to sum it up pretty short, you know, you're running along, you're doing great. And then you fall down the hole. You're like, Oh damn it. You go back, but now you know, it's there. So now you run, you get to that, you jump over it. And then you get hit by a Koopa. You're like, Oh damn it. You go back. So -hmm. now you jump over the hole, you jump, step on the Koopa and you go down a pipe. Like, Oh damn it. And it's like every step of the way you get better and better and better. And then you hit the goal. And then guess what? A new challenge occurs, a new level, a new scenario, and you go through the same ranks. And eventually you end up beating that game. Next time you go through it, it's even easier, right? So it's all about just learning and learning how to fail and make those adjustments and not just kind of stopping and hitting the brick wall. So that's what it's all about, man. I think in life, you got to be willing to do that. And the people You'll, you'll hear it. every super successful person on the planet. I don't care what they do. They'll tell you all about their failures and all mm-hmm. about their, their mishaps and their, their like, you know, forthcomings and all, all those issues that they've had that have led them to be the amazing success that they are. So it, it's a very, very simple commonality. You just got to be okay with it. Absolutely. And, and, and there's different types of failures as well. You know, people think that you, you see all these young people nowadays, they're millionaires from social media or online. Sure. Monetarily, they might be doing very well, but you don't know what other failures are happening. You know, there's there's more than just monetary failures. People yeah. need to realize that as well. Just because you fail at something and you don't make money, you, you can't look at it as a failure. Like you said, you just have to look mm-hmm. at it as a learning experience, you know, and, and yeah. that analogy with Mario is great. I think I'm yeah, going to use that a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, I think something else I want to talk about, and then we'll get, I think we'll get into a little bit of physical therapy here in a minute, sure. but what do you think is the biggest misconception of being a fighter? Uh, that we're violent people. You know, mm-hmm. I think you, you, people will look at uh, at someone who's a combat athlete and they see you in the cage or the ring or the pit and you're, you know, you got blood on you and this and that. They're like, oh, they must be so violent. They must be so angry and this and that. It's like, it's actually the opposite. We're the nicest, calmest, most rational people on the planet. Uh, but that's kind of what makes us dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, it's not like, uh, and granted, I would say 
there's obviously the 1% that are, you know, you get some people who have, you know, a couple, it was like a loose cannon and stuff, but um, like that in every that, profession though. Exactly. Like, unfortunately yeah. that stuff happens. There's, there's bad people everywhere and mm-hmm. you can't, you can't avoid that. But I would say a, a very large percentage of the people I've come across in professional sports are, are awesome people, super humble, really nice, very giving. Right. And it's just like, this is just sport. It's just a job. And like, yeah, it, it can be violent at times, but it's, it's hard to explain to people who don't ever train or go through something like that. They're like, well, how could you do that? Even like, I see people all the time. They ask me, they're like, well, you're a doctor. Like you, you have a, you have a degree, like you have a life, you have a family. Why do you do that? Aren't you afraid like for your brain? I'm like, no, I train really hard. Like I do this the right way, you know, but I'm not a violent person. I'm super mm. like, you know, like if I was such a violent person, I wouldn't want to have a conversation with you. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. On like a, on a Tuesday morning. So, you know, it's just like, I, I just treat people with respect and, um, you know, I can take that and separate. So I think that's the biggest misconception. And even with, um, this is like the sad part. Like I, I wish more people would get their kids involved with some type of martial art early, because I think that would really solve a lot of bullying. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and all the, all the issues, it's like, you need to go through those hardships as a kid to learn like, Hey, you can't act that way. Like there's consequences. It's always the kid who's never been through anything. That's the biggest bully. It's like, it's never the kids that do martial arts. Like just cause I go punch and kick a bag doesn't mean I'm going to punch and kick other kids. It's the opposite mm-hmm. because when I go to sparring class, if I'm a jerk, there's going to be a bigger, badder dude in there than me. And it's mm-hmm. like, I can't, I can't do that. You know? So you learn how to respect yourself and others. Um, and I think that's a huge misconception too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I want to uh, move on to your, you know, physical therapy career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really important. <clears throat> I think it's, it's really cool that you do it, you know, and, and also before we get onto that, I just want to mention, you know, people who, who, uh, you know, discourage that type of profession, you know, really don't, they, they, they've never been around it. You know, it's, it's really, it's like that in everything. I feel like, you know, if you're a college dropout, people say, Oh, well, how come you don't want the, the, you know, something to fall back on or something Mm -hmm. like that. That's sort of what I've experienced. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, you just have to take it and look at it, you know, as that, you know, you, you can't take it as a negative, just like falling back on that, that failure thing. You can't take it as a negative. You have to take it as to a positive. Um, but yeah. And then, and then, like you said, Absolutely. I think if, if you have nothing to do on a Tuesday night, go to a dojo, 99% of them will, will be accepting. And I, I think a hundred percent, look how violent I am. Yeah. Look how, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> if I'm I saw you on the street, I would never know that you could absolutely savage. kick my butt. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute savage. My wife says it all the time. If people only saw you at home with your cats. Yeah. This is my baby. This is Piper, everybody. Yeah. If you're watching. Yep. She's the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's get into physical therapy. Uh, so what do you think, you know, why do you think being a physical therapist benefits you as a fighter? Is there anything that you can, that you take from physical therapy and, and sort of tie into your routine or, or applications of being a fighter? Oh, sure. I mean, one of the biggest things about being a competitive athlete is you got to get out there. You know, if mm-hmm. you're if you're injured, you're sitting on the shelf, you, you can't do what you got to do. If I can't prioritize rest and recovery, I can't build the skills that I need to go out and perform. And that goes for any sport or really anything, period. Like, you know, if you 
if you sit a lot at work and you have low back pain or neck pain, how productive can you really be? You know, so we only get one body. I can do a million things in my life, but I get one body to do it with. So, you know, you, you got to prioritize that. And I, I think um, more people should prioritize their body. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that absolutely, you know, I can, I have that inner thought that always guides me to like, I, I know when I can push a little harder. I know when I can, when I need to pull back, I know when I need to take a day off. You know, it's one of those things where most people have a physical therapist on staff to kind of help them, you know, get through those hurdles and learn when to push, when to pull. Um, but for me, I kind of have that internally already. So I know when I can push myself harder, I know when I need to rest, I can tell when I'm getting sick, you know, and, and I know how to kind of structure that. So I'm not just grinding myself into dust in my training camps. So yeah, as, um, as it relates, I kind of have all that knowledge in the back of my mind where I can really take a, like a third person view and, and uh, like a bird's eye view and just kind of dictate to myself, like, Hey, have that conversation, uh, like be a realist, like, don't always like go, 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 go. Like sometimes I have to take that time and be like, all right, let me just pull back for a minute. Let me recover. Let me rest. So I can have that inner dialogue and, and take care of myself, honestly. Mm -hmm. What do you think the most difficult part of being a physical therapist is? Um, I think learning and it's similar to coaching, you know, everyone has a different style of learning, you know, and like, obviously there's a, there's a general way to do things, but everyone is different, right? Every body is different. Every injury is different. Like the same diagnosis. Like if you have a, uh, you know, you tore your meniscus, but somebody the same age, same height, same activity level, same, everything might as well be your twin has the same meniscus injury we're going to treat it two different ways because you're, you're just not the same person. One person might respond to more hands-on therapy. One person is going to respond to more of the strength and conditioning side of it. Like it's just every, everything is a puzzle and um, that's the difficulty in it, but it's also the beauty and what I love the most in it. I, I love to do puzzles and I love to figure it out. And because everyone's different, that's what keeps it exciting for me because I look at it as a challenge. Like, okay, let's do whatever we got to do to get you better. And, and it always, like, I grow with you as, as you're a client. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and what would you say the most rewarding part of being a physical therapist is? I mean, it's giving, giving people their lives back. You know, a lot of yeah. people come to, they come to physical therapy because something's wrong you know, it's not, it's not just your typical ache and pain. There's, there's a lot of underlying stuff that goes into why you decide to go and seek help. You know, it's not like, uh, you're not a mechanic, right? I'm not a mechanic. You, your car breaks down, you go to the shop, you're like, Oh, I need brakes. You pay for it. They fix your brakes and you drive away and it's over. It's not, it's not just that there's a lot of other like psychosocial things that go behind physical therapy. It's like, okay, you come in with knee pain. All right. What is that knee pain stopping you from doing? Well, I'm having a hard time getting up and down stairs. Well, why is that important? Well, you know, every night my kid has to go up the stairs and he's young, so I got to carry him. All right. Well, what does that mean for you if you can't do it? It's like you go down that rabbit hole and it's like, oh my God, there's a lot more to this knee pain than just knee pain. It's your life. It's getting down and playing with your kids. It's going outside and playing a sport. It's being able to sit and be productive at work. You know, it's, it's so many different things. And learning those bits and pieces and pulling that out of people and like really connecting on more of a personal level. It's every little injury, no matter how big or how small is, can potentially be life-changing. So the opportunity that people will trust me with that to help them change their life and put them back on a track where they want to be. That's everything, man. It's like, it's quality of life. Yeah. Was there any, you know, obviously you can't mention names and 
But like, was there mm-hmm. anybody that came in seeking help that sort of inspired you to, to try to change in a different type of way? Um, you know, I think um, th- there's definitely, there, you always have those clients that they, they affect you. They resonate with you in a certain way. Um, I think for me, sometimes it's people that remind me of others, you know, uh, sometimes of like maybe family members, you know, so I have had clients that reminded me of my grandma, who's no longer with us, you know, Mm -hmm. I have, and that like just their, their personality resonates. Um, I have people that sometimes are my, my, my dad and my mom are still alive. I, I wish they were a little more active. And sometimes I get clients that come in and they're the same age as my parents. And they're like, super super active and like they're complaining that like i can't go play golf six days a week and i can't go swimming and i can't play with my grandkids and i'm like Mm. god i just wish like i wish i could get my parents to be like you you know like sometimes it's that that way too so i think um i think in in a way every client changes me in some way or resonates in some way but yeah there's there's always those moments where i i kind of take a piece of each client and try and find a way to, to make myself better too. You know, it's not a one way street and all of my clients have something to do with, with my personal growth. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Uh, so I think we're just going to backtrack a little bit back to your fighting career. And I, I want to talk about some fights in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look you on up on YouTube there, there's the first uh, couple of fights that come up and uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names correctly <laughs> but help it's... You if you need, yeah. <laughs> all right so i think andre is the guy's first name uh Rinovitz, yep Rinovitz. okay mm. so if you want to talk about that fight in particular and sort of how you applied those preparation tactics that you talked about before and mm. uh applied them to you know that fight yeah so when i fought when i fought andre that was uh that was an interesting one there was a lot more emotion that went into that uh, a lot more nerves that went into that that fight than probably any of my others that I've ever had. And not because he was this world beater. I mean, Andre was very good, but um, at the same time, it's that was my first fight since COVID. So I turned pro in 2019, and then I had two amazing fights with Glory Kickboxing, and then COVID hit early March 2021, or 2020, excuse me. It's like the years of just mm. changed to everything. Uh, mm-hmm. 2020 never happened essentially, <laughs> but um, yeah. So we, I went, you know, almost a full year and a half without competing. Mm. And then 2021, I got this opportunity to fight for karate combat, which is the league with the the pit and like really cool. It's newer. That's what, who I'm signed with now. And I compete mm-hmm. for, um, but that was my debut fight for karate combat. There was a lot of differences. It was smaller gloves, different rule set grappling it was traveling during covid it was not having my team with me it was not having um there were only like when you, if you watch that fight there are there's a few people around the stands but like the the insider information was those people weren't fans they were actors they uh they filmed all of that on a green screen we're on a movie set in budapest and uh it was all like all the animation behind it was a giant green screen yeah, And the people, the only people that were allowed in there were the fighters, the coaches, the staff, the production team, and these actors and actresses who were supposed to be fans. And it was pre-recorded. So it was like a crazy scenario where no one knew you. And like you had people speaking different languages. So like that whole scenario was wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also being in a new arena, I think the most challenging thing for me was 
not the preparation, you know, my preparation is always the same. I always do what I'm supposed to do as far as my training camp goes, but um, just being in that experience and from round to round, like learning the pit, learning what I can and can't do, trying to figure out the puzzle of this guy. Cause there, there wasn't a lot of tape on him. So, you know, I just had to kind of go in there and wing it. Um, so that was, that was a wild one, man. And I was fortunate to come away with the victory in my debut. Yeah. I think it's interesting to see like nicknames, the warrior of light. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty interesting. How'd you yeah. get your nickname? So, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a funny story. So I've had this nickname since I was a teenager and, um, I've always been a pretty big dude. You know, I'm like five eleven, relatively muscular. Like I've always been pretty athletic, um, and like bigger than most of the guys in my age group when I was competing. So, um, I was like 16 and I was competing at a tournament and I went to go change and just like, I, I didn't run to the bathroom. It was just quick. I was just like taking my uniform off put a t-shirt on and I had some muscles and stuff. I wasn't the most shredded kid on the planet, but I was bigger than everyone else in my weight class. Um, and, uh, this guy was like, Holy cow. Like Ross, he looks like an American gladiator. Like he looks like turbo who was one of the American gladiators. If you remember that show. Um, so yeah, just, I get that name just kind of stuck, uh, which is funny because my nephews are five and they think it's the snail. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it all comes full circle, you know? So it's all good. <laughs> But yeah, that's yeah. how I got the nickname and it, it just stuck, man. So people just started calling me Turbo and that's that. Yeah, cool. Um, And then another fight. Um, And I remember watching, you did a video with Karate Combat. I watched a video. It, mm -hmm. It's called Journey to the Pit on YouTube. Yep. And it was a really interesting video. And you had talked about how this one person sort of, you know, stood in your way to, to I guess, sort of, I don't know surpass him and, and become one of the best in the in in the class and this person is uh igor d day yeah. yeah there we go mm -hmm. okay so that's another fight that i think uh would would be a good one to talk about yeah so there was uh you know i that was my second fight in karate combat and they announced that the winner of that fight would be next in line for a world championship. So, okay. you know, you start, you throw that pressure on top of an already stressful situation of like, all right, you win this fight. You're, you're next in line for a title. Um, he had just come off like a, a crazy knockout. So he was a, uh, you know, dangerous fighter. He'd been in there a bunch. Um, he's from Spain and uh, same thing. It was kind of like fly to Budapest. Not a lot of people there, but this was my second experience. And, um, this was actually the first fight that I worked with Dylan Nadler from Mindlock. Um, so, you know, whether it be all hats off to Dylan or just a combination of like my overall preparation, but, uh, you know, going into that event, I felt super clear, really confident. And I had an amazing, one of my best performances, honestly, I felt really smooth and, you know, who knows if that was, a you know, more of just like stylistically, I was that much, you know, higher level than he was or, everything just worked perfectly. Like some days you have those moments where you just can't be touched. And that was one of my days. I just, I, everything was flawless. I felt great. I took no damage and um, I walked away with a really clean finish. So it, it was great. You know, I think it was just a combination of everything, just kind of perfect yeah. storm. So uh, you've seen the, the Sherlock Holmes movies with um, Robert Downey Jr. Right. Uh, the, the newer ones. Yeah. Yeah. So in the movie, there's sort of like when he goes to fight somebody, sort of like goes into slow motion and he's like planning it out when you're in a fight, it, does it sort of just all get slow like that and you're in the moment or is it just 
based off your instincts, you're able to react to different things. Yeah, I think it's both, right? Sometimes okay. sometimes it's very instinctual and it happens so fast and you're like, oh my God, what just happened? Um, and then sometimes you're just so much further ahead, whether you, you've planned it out properly or your preparation just completely syncs up with what you're actually getting, like where your expectations meet what's actually happening. Because, you know, it's one thing to prepare, but you got to remember like, the same way that I'm watching video of my opponent and trying to game plan and see what they're doing mm -hmm. the same way they're doing that for me. And like, we're kind of countering each other. And sometimes you go into the fight and it's like, you get a totally different like game plan from them. So it's like, you, you get kind of cut off. Like I had all these plans to do these certain things. And now you're not moving that way. You're not throwing these techniques. Maybe you're in a totally different stance. It's like, so sometimes it doesn't add up and you got to, you know, go off your instincts. And then sometimes everything lines up perfectly and it's like being in slow motion. So, yeah, I think it's both, you know, sometimes you're going to have those moments where it all just works out the way it needs to. Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been an absolutely amazing conversation with you today. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and I end every podcast with this simple question. I think it's a really great question because all these different types of people came on for different types of backgrounds. So if you could leave one piece of advice for the listeners could be about business life, anything you want it to be, what would that piece of advice be? I think it's always just like, and I say this all the time. I mean, just work hard and treat people nicely. That, that's really what it comes down. I think that's what we all need the most right now. Like mm -hmm. worldwide. I think that's a pretty, pretty standard request is like, if everyone just worked a little harder, everyone was just like, go out of your way to be a little nicer to people. You know, I think, uh, I think we'd get much further as a community. Um, I think this, these last couple of years have turned into like the years of self, you know, because we've been isolated with COVID and things are changing and we get nervous being around other people that we forgot how to interact with each other. So I think my best piece of advice and like something that I hold very high in regard is the way I treat other people, you know, and um. You know, it's kind of like that do unto others, right? I want people to treat me nicely and, and be good around me. So I have to put that back out there as well. So, um, yeah, I think that would be my best advice is just be a little nicer to everybody. Go out of your way to be nice to people and just work your behind off and good things are going to happen, not just for you, but everyone else around you. So, Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that advice. Um, and you want to give yourself a shout out for social media tags and stuff? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So, uh, my Instagram is probably my, my most traveled site. So if you uh, follow me at Ross underscore turbo underscore Levine that you can find me there. I'm also on Facebook, Ross Levine. I have an athlete page, Ross turbo Levine, but yeah, my Instagram is probably the main one. You'll get all the content from there, whether it be my, my training, um, my, uh, my physical therapy, my turbo sports performance program, yeah, all that stuff. So you kind of get it all lumped into one and you may even get a, a cat video in there once in a while. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a, a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate the time and uh, thank you to all the viewers who are watching and hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely, yeah. So thank you everybody for tuning in to the Knowledge is Power podcast today. Please make sure to leave the podcast a review no matter where you're listening. Yes, review the podcast. That'd be greatly appreciated. And follow Knowledge is Power on Instagram. Also, if you want to get early access to these episodes, a lot of times they're recorded weeks in advance to when they're posted on widely available platforms. You can subscribe to Patreon Knowledge is Power for as little as $3 a month and get early access to every single episode. This episode is being uh, recorded uh, December 13th. It will be posted on Patreon today. 
and uh, it won't be uh, posted probably until the end of the month. So make sure to subscribe on Patreon, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch you in the next one.